Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset pod and videocast on YouTube, where we are on a metabolic mission to reverse chronic lifestyle conditions using real whole foods, straight talk, sound healing practices, and the pleasures of the table. Thank you so much to those of y'all who have bought the book. You can do so in two ways at favorfat.com. You buy it there, I'll send you a signed copy. I'm competing with Amazon on price, so of course I include shipping. Or you can, on your next Amazon order, just slide that into your shopping cart. And thank you to those who have reviewed the book, the podcast. Pretty, pretty please, if you enjoy one or both Would you please take a few minutes out of your precious day to let me know what you think in review so that we can spread the word and increase the awareness of this metabolic mission to reverse chronic lifestyle conditions. So today we have two very special guests, Mary Kressler and Sean Martin are live from Willamette Valley, Oregon. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hello. It's nice and early where they are. I'm sitting in 80 degree weather in South Florida and they have snow flurries because it is February. So that's rather normal. We are recovering from a very rare freak uh, snowstorms. Early winter? What what month are we in? It's cold. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for June. (laughs) Y'all, I have known these two. I'm so grateful for quite a while. I'm going to guess, Mary, it was around about 09. That sounds about right. Yep. We met, we had our nose in many glasses. There was a lot of swirling. We're both sommeliers and we were judging a wine competition. And uh, I was like, this chick is really cool. And so I remember we got (laughs) husbands together, Sean and Patrick, the next night at this wine festival, seafood wine festival, and have become friends ever since. And I'm um, mostly grateful for all the times that we have shared pleasures of the table. That's my thing. That's the thing that I think people in the nutrition world forget about. They want to count carbs or whatever. I want to sit and enjoy with great people. So tell us who y'all are. <laughs> we know where y'all are. You're in the Willamette Valley where some of the world's best Pinot Noir is made. Yes. Well, we now together run a food and wine website called Vindulge. I started it back right around the time I met you as a wine blog when I was um, <clears throat> studying to become a sommelier Um, It kind of evolved into food and wine, and then we started writing about recipes, just personally, stuff that we were creating in our own backyard, and that quickly took off for us, and so once the recipes started taking off, I really took that as a sign from the universe, okay, maybe we should be writing more about this on the website. Um, Pretty soon after that, it led us to start a catering company here in the Willamette Valley, um, that became successful pretty quickly as well. Read into that. Um, we didn't know what we were getting we ourselves we were into. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, we're really doing this. Yeah. And um, with twin boys. So, <laughs> with, yes, with young twin boys, it was a wild ride. And then um, to flash forward a few, few years later, we got a book deal. So we got our cookbook, Fire and Wine, which came out right at the beginning of the pandemic. Awesome. What a beautiful book that is. I have some already. I don't dog ear. I put sticky sign ears. Terrific <laughs> <laughs> book. We have learned so much from Fire and Wine. Yeah. And then Sean joined full time. He left his 20 year corporate career in insurance to work with his wife full time. And so now we do this together. We're about to start work on book number two and creating lots of food content out there. Yeah, it is exciting. Uh, And to your point, I think part of our point of view is 
outdoor lifestyle. So cooking on the grill, flat top, smoking meats, um, the beverage component, pizzas. Um, and I think that as we've really immersed ourselves in the food community, I mean, there's just so, so much to it that you learn every day and unlearn uh, some things that, you know, you might have been taught a certain way. And then, and then you realize, yeah, that's not exactly how things go down in terms of the food community. So yeah, it's been really exciting to to have my wife as my boss uh, and, and my roommate um, and my best friend. And, and 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 as the extrovert in the relationship, it, it definitely like we balance each other out too. So I don't drive her too nuts, which is why she put my office up in a barn up on a hill. So <laughs> that too. Y'all are so great, and that's what you said about the food community, particularly where you are. Um, any kind of wine-focused area, whether it be in the U.S. or abroad, the people are so passionate about food, sourcing, well, growing, sourcing, preparing. That is, you know, I credit the wine industry for helping me love food. And as someone who struggled with an eating disorder as a, a teen, you know, you would have never thought that I would become a foodie, but it, there's so much to learn and unlearn. Absolutely. That's part of my metabolic mission is unlearning, you know, the things that sometimes we're told are healthy are not. And so I'm curious for y'all, um, how you balance the different businesses is the catering company is Ember and Vine. So are you still doing that as well as running the wine and recipe website? It's just all at the same time, or do you silo it and say, I'm in charge of this, you're in charge of this? How does it work? I, I think COVID did us a favor in that it pretty much shut down the catering focused part of the business um, because we couldn't do that for a couple of years. But one of the things that it has opened us to us was when the book came out, we were able to do events focused like catering type events, but that are focused on really talking about the book and sharing some of the recipes from the book. So doing different types of events. So we will still do certain types of catering events, but not necessarily if you want to call us up and just have us cater your wedding type event. We focus more on events where we can really get out there and be a part of the experience and share specific recipes that we, or, you know, working with wineries, we'll still do events with certain wineries where we will partner up with them and come up with the fun menu that showcases their wines, but also food. So it's really evolved a little bit, would you say? Yeah, I think to your point about like roles and responsibilities too, one of the things that was and it's an ongoing thing, but we do each have our own kind of primary responsibilities within the businesses. Um, and I think that the catering side, while customer facing and became, we didn't have economy of scale. So what's been nice as we've grown on social media and we've become, I don't know if we would call ourselves celebrities, but we are celebrity chefs, you know, featured chefs at events throughout the country. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, you've known us since we've started this journey. And, and I don't think we've realized how much reach we have in any given time. So when we start getting out and doing these events, what, what, what catering taught us is how to prepare and be on point, delivering great food, sourcing locally where we can. Um, and, how to scale up, scale down. Yeah, how to scale up, how to serve 6,500 people uh, when you're one of 12 chefs. Um so, yeah, so, you know, the business has the the website, um, which we get several million people a year that come through the website. And then we have our social media components, which ties our brand and imaging and videos. Uh, we do everything here. Mary's the photographer and videographer. I tend to do more of the behind the scenes work. So SEO and, and working with brands, culinary and beverage brands. Um, so that's kind of how it's evolved over time. And where we're going is to try and continue to grow our reach, uh, connect more with our community. So we started a private Facebook group so we could actually interact more with people, okay. uh, lives through social media, uh, and then doing events at our at our property. So instead of 
traveling out and catering, we can control the frequency and the cadence of that and bring people to our location and do winemaker dinners or educational sessions uh, in our niche. So that's that's coming this year. I am starting to regret having moved to South Florida. Well, you do have sun. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> we don't. We get a window of sun between July 4th and October 15th. Like that's our window. And then it just goes away. <laughs> but I can see how you would, of course, I mean, it's it's brave to invite people. Y'all have a large property, but you, you, you're known to have a few um, grills, smokers, etc. In fact, one of my favorite Sean stories is you disappeared at some point. Mary, where's Sean? Well, he, he drove to Kansas to buy a smoker. It's like, what? He's hauling it home. Like, so tell us about your, uh, your tools. You know, some guys <clears throat> buy Porsches. Um, you buy smokers. What do y'all got now? Uh, somewhere in the 20s. Somewhere in the mid-20s. <clears throat> oh, my yeah. God. Okay. Now, now we'll, let's let's set some context too, because some people might be like, "What?" So yeah, this part is where we're web- justifying the you know the smoker yeah. addiction. <laughs> okay. So uh, I have in the 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 smoker you're referencing is a Yoder 16 foot trailer that I tow behind my vehicle when we're doing events, and it was the last smoker we bought. Actually, uh, most of what we get are samples or for media reviews and and such. Um, and one of the things we try to do is meet people where they are in terms of the budget and the type of cooker they may own. Some people only have a budget to be able to afford one device, and it might be limited based on living in an apartment or that they don't have a lot of space. So we've tried to make sure that we have content that can fit people who have one cooker or maybe somebody who has the space to be able to have three or four. And I think that, um, our most recent uh, niche has been pizzas, so we're now saw that on expanding Instagram. our mm. yeah yeah. <laughs> so now we're we're uh, and which has been a fascinating journey too because we're learning all about flour and they're not all flours should be treated equally and understanding uh, gluten free flours and uh, putting the best pizzas out there. So that's been our new niche. But yeah, we have we have several. Grill smokers and, and ovens of Several. various types. Read 20. Are you in the barn with all of your <laughs> stuff? <laughs> Is that why you're out there? Yeah. yeah. Secretly, we're moving everything up there. So at some point, I'll just get a picture of me kind of like <laughs> nestled within all of our devices from big green eggs to pellet grills to, <clears throat> to everything in between. So I'm yeah. Like a winery level where they're bringing in the fruit and they have all the tanks and everything. You're tanking. Mm, yes. Our smokers <laughs> and grills. I love it. So tell me something, y'all. Um, were one or both of you, and I don't think I actually, well, I know part of this. Were one or both of you raised in foodie households? Did you grow up with 20 grills? Gosh, no. <clears throat> I grew up very typically 80s and 90s with all of the stuff you talk about, like there's the low fat meals and the just packaged meals and microwave dinners and lots of fast food. And my family has kind of been on their own roller coaster of health. And I remember when I was in my late teens, teens, like right after I'd started college, my dad had had a heart attack. And right around that, he was in his like late 40s. He was still a young man. Um, and it was right around that same exact time I read that book, the book Fast Food Nation. I yeah. don't know if you remember that, but that book scared the living bejesus out of me. Like that book, after I read that book, I stopped eating. I was afraid to eat anything. I don't think I've stepped foot in so many fast food restaurants since that day. And I became like, a vegetarian. I was just scared to eat everything after I re- read that book. And so I went, I went on like a 10 year journey of being a vegetarian. And it wasn't until, you know, I kind of re-entered the wine industry and started learning about, to your point, like learning about wine, you really, truly learn how to respect that beverage. But 
similarly, I started learning about food and traveling to places like Italy and seeing the same level of quality people put into the wine, but putting into making meat, making salami, making cheeses. And so I truly learned how to appreciate food like in my 30s. Like it, it took forever because I just was very 80s raised and then had that shell shock of like, oh my God, I can't eat anything. Everything has been a lie that I grew up, you know, experiencing. And so it really was being in the food and culinary industry that taught me how to enjoy food, how to source food, how to find good quality food. And hopefully what we're doing now with people sharing that with the world. But no, my family, I mean, my mom, she's a Mexican woman. So I grew up with lots of amazing Mexican food. But she was also a working mom. So we ate a a lot of not very great food growing up. Yeah. And I, I think for me, I grew up with a gas grill and, you know, the big family picnic type experiences where basically it was, and this is, you know, upstate Western New York. So we had like these giant hot dogs and, and hamburgers. Uh, it was kind of the thing. And then through college, I enjoyed being outside with friends of grilling um, but it really was more of a hobby. Uh, and when I was looking to kind of learn more, um, while Mary was going through her sommelier, um, educational sessions, uh, and experiences, I was cooking outside. So it was kind of this natural backyard barbecue self-learning. And then when we did the catering, that's where I worked with a professional chef and started to really understand the the logistics and, and the sourcing and, and actually running, you know, behind the scenes type kitchen experience. And now we have this motto, it's like always be learning. It's like, there's never going to be a point as culinary people where you know it, you know, the, you know, and when you run into those types of people, you you just, you, you, you realize, you know, maybe they're not the people we're going to hang out with long term, because we love to learn. Uh, and I think that one of the things that's been really exciting for me as I've started to travel more um, is to spend some time with farmers. Yes. And, you know, when you bring up wine, uh, I don't think people really equate drinking the wine with farming. They see it as this sexy luxury beverage, luxury beverage uh, but most wineries around the world are small businesses that barely break even. And at the end of the day, they are farmers. Yep, And these farmers do everything they can to put out great product, take care of the land, because that is the revenue stream. And and I think that, uh, you know, that's something. And it's the same in ranching. When you start meeting with ranchers, there's a small part of that community that obviously have created some some stress in the environment or supply chain. But a majority of farmers are small farmers. A majority of people who are ranching are not these giant uh, supply chain machines. Most of them are small businesses that are trying to, you know, put out the best cattle possible or the best sheep possible. So that's been another aspect that I've enjoyed learning uh, in this complex ecosystem. And that's 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 been something we try and get across through education um, as well, uh, through emails and just through social media and just helping people appreciate where everything comes from and the good, the bad, and the ugly too. I mean, it's, it's about having a conversation and I think we're going to continue to lean into that because I think sometimes we, we all pick sides in different things. And and I think it's more important to just, you know, food is community and let's bring people together through this community aspect and, and celebrate those things from farm to table. Oh, bravo. If you're watching, you see me golf clapping. (laughs) Food is community. I love it. That's that's what a lot of us are missing in our day-to-day lives. In this American culture is just that time around the table. And to me, that's, you know, that's where I love it. So thank you. I may steal that, but I'll attribute it to you, Sean. Um, <laughs> so Mary already mentioned this, but I still, I do find this funny that a, um, a woman who was married to a pit master was a vegetarian for 10 years. <laughs> was there any um, attempt from Sean to like bring you over to the animal side or did you end up there yourself? No, I ended up there myself. He He's learned that I mean, we've been together since 
1999. Uh, like, I think... There was an awkward pause there. So for a moment, I'm like, I was going to go in years and then I, that required math. So <laughs> I'll just go with the year of our first date. It's been a long time. And I think he's learned that if he gives me time, like I'll eventually like evolve or change or grow. Like I, we, he's seen many ideations of, of me. So I think he just, he was just being patient during that time. But for me, I mean, really it was like, the, the moment that I went back to the dark side, I like to call it, was we were in Hawaii for, he was there for work, um, but we were just eating overpriced tourist food in Waikiki Beach. And I was getting so tired of just spending so much money on these very mediocre dinners. I'm just talking the tourist trap places we would go to. And I had researched a restaurant at the time, I think they they finally shut down, called Chef Mavro. It was a James Beard award-winning restaurant. I was learning about wine, and it was one of those restaurants where it's just a prefix menu. It's like three-course, five-course, or ten-course meal, and I'd never had a meal like that at the time, and I'm, I wanted to experience it, and so I'm like, you know what, Sean? I'm going to go, and I trust this guy. Like, I'm going to trust whatever food comes to the table. I know there's going to be meat, um, but I'm ready. I want. I just really want wanted to experience a great meal and we had a the meal that changed my life I remember there was one course that came and it was this like little bite of Kobe beef next to some braised beef like braised short ribs and I remember taking a bite of that and I I just felt it was like I fell in love for the first time and I remember okay. second eh? yeah <laughs> and I remember um telling Sean, I'm like, if we could learn how to make food this good, I will, I'll eat anything. I will experiment. I will try anything as long as we can figure out how to make it taste like this. And so from that day on, I went home and it started, right? I, I, I was in, I was having trust issues with food. So I wanted to make sure I knew where it came from. We were sourcing really good quality local meats um, and trying to reintroduce it to my diet and we were cooking it. So I trusted, you know, who was cooking it. And so it just, for me, it came back to really learning how to trust food again. But yeah, from that day on, I've, I've given up other things that I've now learned are probably much worse for me than eating meat and reintroduce a lot of things that I probably should have been having all along, but at least better quality versions. Yeah. So there's a lot of short ribs on our menu in an, any given month. So it's kind of like, but to your point, Mary, uh, I, I was just patient and just, you know, if, if this was Mary's journey in terms of food, I had my own journey with food. And, and so I think that it was fun to watch because not only did she have this aha moment as she's eating it, she shared with the waiter that I'm a vegetarian and this is the most amazing beef I've ever had who just went and relayed that to Chef Mavro, and Chef Mavro actually came out to the table <laughs> and said, he sat "Oh, next to me, he sat next to me. He's, he's this man of Greek origin who's French, or he's Greek origin, raised in France, and then has a restaurant in Hawaii. So he's got this like, it looks Delicious. like Albert Einstein, but he's got a strong French accent. And he's like, so you like my beef." <laughs> I'm like, yes, it was the greatest thing ever. And yeah. he was like thanking me. And he gave me a hug. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was magical. It was pretty fun. Oh, I love it. Great food stories. It was just, it's almost nothing better. So y'all help people create their own great food stories. I'm going back to this little puppy right here, fire and wine. It, it's gorgeous, obviously. What's different to me about this from the other cookbooks that we love in our home is the some of just the creativity. And I remember when y'all were figuring out smokers and, you know, smoking ice that goes in beverages. <laughs> uh, there's there's just these like surprise and delight moments. You know, one from this book, uh, Duck Fat Granola. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? what is that? Um, you know, do we need to be pit masters to tackle this book? I mean, I know the answer, but I want you to speak to it because sometimes when we talk about, you know, culinary adventure, that can be intimidating for people. So who is this book for? Well, I think, I think you bring up a good point. So the book is meant for someone who's just picking up a grill for the first time 
or somebody who might be looking to step outside of your typical ribs and burgers. Uh, we try to be very focused in the book as well to use ingredients that are common uh, and approachable uh, while still trying to allow people to take a flavor journey. To your point about the savory granola, that was inspired by an event we did uh, with Big Green Egg here in Portland at a, at a festival that's no longer um, in existence, Feast, but it was um, an attempt to create a new type of topping and texture when we paired it with smoked beef. And people loved it. And it was just one of those things. So I think it's it's really, uh, we tried to do a, a little you know, 101 on how to manage fire, because at the end of the day, whether it's high heat or low heat, you have to understand charcoal and fire management. And then from there, we tried to create a series of recipes that uh, really helped uh, someone who was just picking up the grill for the first time or somebody who might look for that little extra nudge and fun factor. And I think for us too, we always wanted to make it about the hero's journey, you know, so it, it's not about us, it's about them nailing the the food and really being excited to share that with the people that are with. Yeah. And we, we wanted to make sure that all ingredients in the book are stuff people can find at any average grocery store. And even with duck fat granola, I mean, we, I think we talk about how you can make your own duck fat, but I mean, you can buy duck fat in most supermarkets now. So even that as an ingredient, you know, that probably is one of the ones that is probably the most, Whoa, what is, what is that sounds exotic and different, but for the most part, all the other recipes are pretty, we try to make it very accessible um, so that it wasn't like some chefy book where you had these really weird ingredients that you're going to go seek out and buy and use only once. We wanted people to be able to make any of the recipes and not have to seek out any ingredient. Right. So this is not, if y'all have seen the movie Julie and Julia, where she's, you know, pulling her hair out in the kitchen, trying to cook through the wonderful Julia Child's cookbook. This is get outside. You're, you're going to grill some stuff. I love it. Great. So you're hearing that. Now, where can people buy this book? They can buy it many different places. We sell it on our website. Uh, much like you, we can sell autographed copies that we will mail. Um, but it's also available on Amazon. It's available as it's still available quite a few places online. So like Powell's Books Online and lots of other places where books are sold. Um, yeah, it's 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 in its second edition, uh, about to go into its third printing. So that means you'll probably find it at your finer bookstores. Um, and IndieBooks.org is a great website for looking for specific books in your zip code near you at smaller bookstores, which is, is, is a great one to promote. Um, and yeah, so we've seen it every now and then we'll walk by a bookstore and we're like, oh my God, there's our book. Let's do a selfie real quick. It's kind of weird. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then we have friends who see it. So all over the country, they'll just snap a photo. It was at the Culinary Institute of America in Napa, um, which was really cool. So we had several people snap photos of it and send it to us. So it's it's really cool uh to, to see it but yeah um you can go to vindulge.com get signed copies you can go to amazon uh you can go to andybooks.org uh, and find it at a zip code near you as well um yeah or you can just call it's it, one thing that's been great to learn about the publishing industry is if you really love the book call your local bookstore tell them i, I really want this book i want to buy it through you and then they can reach out uh and, and get it since it's still in print awesome i love it so the book We've talked a lot about meat and coming over to the wonderful side, not the dark side, <laughs> of nourishing <laughs> animal foods. So no nutrient-dense, y'all. But the book is Fire and Wine, so we it, it would be a real shame to, to conclude without talking about wine. And something y'all should know about Mary specifically is she is what I would call a bubble fanatic Bubble is sort of wine geek code for sparkling wine slash champagne. And something that I really loved a couple of years ago for Patrick's birthday, we went out to a wonderful restaurant here. We ordered champagne, the real stuff. You know, you only turn whatever, 46 or whatever he is. He's going to be 50 <laughs> once. 
And the gal opening the bottle before I could even be like, don't point that at me. It just, boom, you know, and flew off the ceiling. And, you know, that could take someone's eye out. So I have to compliment you on New Year's Eve. If y'all want to know how to properly open bubbles, this is the gal. She showed us how <laughs> to do this on Instagram. So just go back to her Instagram reel. It's Vindulge, right? V-I-N-D-U-L-G-E. And you could watch Mary yes. proper opening. So I have to have some like safety concept or uh, <laughs> safety messaging here with bubbles. But just talk to us a little bit about why you love sparkling wine so much. And then how does someone new... To, to wine or, you know, people always say to me, well, you order, you know, everything about wine, but how do you find like a, a good one? How do you know? So how did you get into it and how do we buy more of it? Well, I mean, for me, I think sparkling wine is the like pinnacle of all winemaking, sparkling wine, especially champagne. So for your reader or listeners and viewers, um, true champagne comes from the champagne region of France outside of that region, it's sparkling wine. Other countries have their own words for it. But when we're talking champagne, I'm referring to what's produced in Northeast France, which is a type of wine that starts out as still wine, starts out as the same kind of wine we like to drink that's bottled up in a regular cork or, you know, screw cap or whatnot. But it goes through another fermentation whereby it turns into the beverage we know as bubbly. And in that region, there's so many strict regulations, um, so many rules, so many things that have to just be perfect for it to become the beverage that I've grown to love. And for me, I've just learned such a deep level of respect for people who make that type of wine. It's very time consuming, it's very expensive. It takes several years from the time the grapes are harvested till you have a bottle of champagne. Um, so where it just becomes something that I just, I deeply love and I deeply respect, but you don't have to be in the champagne region to get great sparkling wine. Great sparkling wine is made all over. I mean, right here in Oregon, there are producers of absolutely delicious, amazing sparkling wine. Um, and there are a lot of resources that can help, help you find what you might be looking for, but I mean, you don't have to spend $50, $60 on a great bottle of sparkling wine. Uh, even within France, there are a lot of regions that make wine in the same method. So they make it in the same method as champagne, but don't bottle it. They can't say champagne on it. So there's Cremant de Bourgogne. There's anything labeled Cremant would be sparkling wine made in the same style, but in a different in different regions of France. But some of those bottles can be $15 a bottle, $20 a bottle, and those are fantastic as well. Um, if you're going to like Prosecco, Prosecco in Italy is a very different style. It's not made in, most Prosecco is not made in the champagne method. So you're going to find wines a lot more in like the teens, um, but they can be really beautiful bottles as well. So I think my, my, it's it's hard because I have people call me all the time, Mary, what bottle should I get for my parents' birthday or whatever? I'm like, I really, I can't see what's on the shelf, what's available to you because what's available to me is not always available to other people. And so I think the best way to go about is to find a wine shop or a grocery store that has a wine steward, just get to know them and they'll get to know your tastes and just be okay asking them questions. Let them know what your budget is. Let them know what you're looking for. Um, and then give them feedback as you try something. Say, I, I really love this one, but I really didn't like this one. And they'll get to know your taste. And I think if you have a wine shop in your area, just just go befriend the people who work there because that's they want to get to know you and want to help you find something you're going to love. We we also have a wine shop, a, a direct-to-consumer online wine shop and wine club. Uh, so that's another option because we focus on small producers making less than 5,000 cases that you'll never see on a shelf. Never, unless you're at the tasting room in Oregon or Washington or Sicily or wherever, um, you're not going to find them. So, uh, and there are more like us. There's a lot of niche specific wine communities where you can find them online. We deliver to 42 states, uh, but that's another avenue for people too, is, is to look. And one thing that I think Mary hasn't mentioned, and I apologize if you were going to, but I think another thing for bubbly that Mary often brings up is that it's the perfect wine for every everything. 
So if you want to pick something to bring to a dinner party that pairs with the appetizer, the main, and the dessert, it's bubbly. Versatile and yes. fun. Just know how to open it correctly, folks. <laughs> yes. yes, away from someone's face. Away from people. Points at children, dogs, people of any kind. So yeah. I, oh, I was going to say, I think one of my favorite recipes from the book is smoked bone marrow paired with champagne which right it's like you got this rich delicious delicacy of a meat pairing it with this crisp acidic beautiful sparkling wine that's oh we have bone marrow in the freezer and now i think i'm gonna go get a bottle and, and <laughs> I, we're gonna smoke it well i mean it's getting to be 10 o'clock there as we're recording <laughs> <laughs> So we've already talked and, and mentioned how we got to know each other as, as couples and families sharing the pleasures of the table. Um, and the fact that a lot of people in the health and especially like the metabolic health world, we just don't talk about it. And for y'all, this is like, this is your life. That's why I wanted to interview you and introduce you to this audience. But I am curious because both of you are also health minded people. So how do you balance your your love of food and wine and pleasures of the table with, you know, what we could broadly call health? This is not like you're drinking bubbles all day. Most yeah. what? I think, I, think, <laughs> I think social media might put across what, you know, it's eight in the morning and we're drinking mimosas every day. But I think the word you used, and I don't mean to, to step in, but and I'm not, a, I'll just disclose, I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, nor am I a food scientist, but I've just been curious. And that curiosity has led me down educating myself and, and working with others who are experts in the field to just understand. And it comes down to the word you use, which is balance. And I think for us and our lifestyle, it is all about balance. So if we're having a charcuterie board, it's going to be meat heavy and cheese heavy. It's not going to be bread heavy. Um, if we're using... Um, you know, the beverage, you know, it's it's not like we're drinking 17 bottles of wine in a night. Just 16. Uh, just 16. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Reminds me so of a I, I, <laughs> Yeah. And, and I, I mean, we exercise, we try and promote balance. And I think that includes mental balance, too, you know, taking time out for our mental selves. But for me, when I think about our brand and I think about cooking outside, we've been doing it for over a hundred thousand years. And it's about being around the table, being around the grill. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt too and add, I think one of the things, so going back to wine, one of the things, a great bottle of wine that you, you discover is that it doesn't have to be packaged in, in 10 years of French Oak, right? Good wine tastes good because the grapes are healthy and it goes like, you should be able to taste the grape. And one of the things that we were on a mission to do, especially in our cookbook, is in differentiating our cookbook from other barbecue books. A lot of other barbecue books talk about, you know, geez, just these ribs that are slathered up in tons of, you know, barbecue sugary sauce. We want the food to shine and anything that goes on the food, whether it's a seasoning or a sauce, should complement it. Just like oak should complement a wine, right? It should not be the primary flavor we do not use sugar heavily. And that's one thing. If you want really big sugary sauces, you can go somewhere else. There's other websites that are going to have it. We have our dry rubs can be minimally. They're used as a flavoring because we really want the protein to shine. And when you cook food that's not doused and covered in sugar or heavy sauces, the, the food itself at the core is delicious and healthy. And it doesn't become unhealthy until you start covering it up in really sweet sugary sauces. And we like to yeah. share food on the website that we eat at home and we're raising two kids and our kids have their own dietary issues and allergies. And we, we eat what they eat and they eat what we eat and we eat as a family. And so we're not going to try to attract an audience that really wants that heavily, you know, sugared food. So I think for us, the food we tend to make, I think in general is, I think pretty natural. I mean, it's form. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think between that and just, I'm also still, and I wouldn't say a health nut, but the vegetable nut, I still want to make sure 
the three men that live in my house are still getting really good quality vegetables. And so it's not just meat all the time, right? Like we have, I think we eat pretty well balanced, just overall lifestyle here. Yeah. So there's the word again, balance. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think, uh, you know, we ought to balance. The, it, yeah. And we've, we've, you know, we've got some recipes where we've, we've had people ask, can you do a paleo inspired rib recipe as an example okay. or keto friendly? So, yeah. and we, then for me, that's a marketing term for the most part, because as long as you're not like a lot of our recipes, like, a lot of our recipes really do fall into those categories. They're just not marketed towards that audience, but they can be. We just got to put the name right there because. And there's other people who are recipe creators that are in that niche and are much better authorities than we are. But I think that's what it comes down to is just is, is the balance. We try to let the food and the wine speak for itself. And it's about the conversation and, and, and the experience. And uh, our hope is that people who are sitting in their porch, wherever they are in the world, are able to get inspired. And we get inspired when we travel and we kind of bring that through to to our food as well. We just came back or I just came back from Brazil and there was a whole bunch of exciting culinary experiences I had down there and wine. Um one of which was pau de queijo, which is this amazing gluten-free cheese bread, Portuguese cheese bread that really became popular in Brazil. It was the most delicious thing. I must have had over 100 of them over the week. So when I say balance, that week, not so much, but it was awesome. And then we came home and we made it and it's tapioca flour and it's delicious. And, and it's like this delicious, awesome cheese bread that has no gluten in it. <laughs> So it's nice. That's terrific. Did y'all put that out into the world? Is it one of your? Did. All right, we got to yeah. find that website in the show notes. Okay. It's 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 on the website, and honestly, it was the most difficult recipe we've ever had to make. Usually, we test things three times, and it's ready to go. This one took twelve, and oh, many fails. And just like, and this is the process that we try and educate. Like, it's hard sometimes in a in a recipe to just explain the texture that things the dough needs to be before you move to the next step. So it really became about making sure that as we perfected the recipe, that the, uh, the steps spoke for themselves. So yeah, it's up. It's, it's live. Excellent. I will grab that and put it in the notes. I, since we left um, the Pacific Northwest found out that I have a wheat allergy and I, I am a confessed French baguette lover, but I, I itch and I sneeze, and now I know why. But this does not sound like it has wheat in it. So I am oh. now I'm curious, but I'm going to let Patrick make that since he said it took twelve times. It'll t he's he's better <laughs> baker, so we'll we'll see if he can do it in under twenty four. Um, I get a lot of questions about kids, nourishing kids, kid nutrition, kids supplement. Y'all are your, your chefs, your sommeliers, you have twin boys. Talk to me about, and you have, you have touched on this just a few minutes ago, but like nourishing your kids and how you do this. People always want to know, does Fletcher eat what y'all eat? Yes, he does. So what tips do you have? How do you do it? I mean, I think for us with our kids, like they started developing some issues when they were really young and we had discovered through much trial and error too that they cannot tolerate gluten also and so they are on a completely gluten-free diet so therefore most of we at, at home that's pretty much what we eat and so for me that actually put me on a mission to try and create even better quality food for them because I didn't want them to miss out on a lot of things especially as a kid um, so I really spent a lot of time trying to find things to make them that are balanced, but delicious stuff that they get excited about. It's hard to be that kid that goes to a birthday party and can't have the pizza and the cake with the other kids. But also we've also realized that we can't just completely keep them from, especially they're 12 now. So we can't like when they come home from school with a bag full of Valentine's day candy, it's almost, I think similar to Halloween. It's like, you know what, we're going to go for it. You're going to indulge and you're going to probably have a tummy ache and, you're going to have to deal with that on your own, but we're not going to have it at the house all the time. So we don't always have crap food at that. If we have crap food at the house, it's going to get eaten. If we bring potato chips home, 
that's what they're going to go for. So I think if anything, we try to, to have the, I guess, philosophy that to go out to eat, you can pick something off the menu that whatever, I'm not going to pick for you, but if we're at home, we're going to eat what we want to hear. And so we just try to not completely deprive them of some of the things they want. Cause as a kid, they're going to figure out how to get it. They're going to sneak around and they're going to figure out how to get the things that we're trying to tell them they can't have. Cause at the first, once you tell a kid they can't have something, they're going to figure out how to get it. And so I think we just try, at least if anything, especially at the age they're at, try and make sure our house is an environment where all snacks are, you know, healthy or healthy-ish. And when we make dinners, that's what they're that's what they're going to have is what we provide for dinner. But it's kind of like the eighty twenty rule, you know, and in balance. Um, the other thing that it created for us is this journey on like how do we get it? How do we create the texture and flavors that we loved? And pizza dough is a good example. And so, how do we make a great gluten free pizza dough that actually tastes like it should, not cardboard, you know? And so, we went out of our way to research gluten-free flours, cup per cup flours, different flour blends. And, and that led us down the path of, yeah, there are actually some amazing flours out there that uh, people don't necessarily get their hands on. One is Caputo. Caputo is a traditional Italian um, flour mill, and uh, they have a gluten-free flour that is derived in part from wheat that's been de-glutened. Because the gluten comes from kind of the, the tips of the wheat. Uh, yes. And so it is so similar that um, in texture and flavor, we made gluten-free biscuit recipe. And uh, by far, we did this for a media event up in Seattle, outside of Seattle. And the gluten-free biscuits were a bigger hit than the ones with gluten because it's just so fluffy. So I think for us too, it's um, speaking specifically to the kids, it's trying to create foods that are still... Uh, enriching. We do do supplements. Um, so magnesium and some other supplements as well, just in general, because our diets don't necessarily have that either. Uh, and Mary's been amazing at just making sure we focus on, on that as well. So there's some of that too. Excellent. Well said. So before we wrap up, I am curious, I love it when my guests can just share a piece of, it could be cooking, culinary, could be health advice. You know, we've talked about balance. We've talked about food as community, but how do each of you want to leave folks? If they could do something for themselves to inspire more health, what would that be? I don't know. I mean, I think for me, as I've kind of gotten into my my mid like forties, is really learning how to listen to your body. And Great. for us, I think I had Sean like a year ago, kind of made him do this like ten day detox thing, just no sugar, no caffeine, no alcohol, no nothing. And I think when we went back to just regular diet after that, he, I guess, never realized how bad certain foods were responding to him. Gluten, one of them. Um, and I think for me, just those kinds of experiences, I think are helpful to just get your body back to this base level. Like this is what feeling healthy, this is what feeling good feels like. Now, how can I feel like this more more frequently? And just knowing, hey, hey, we had some crap food last night. I feel really gross today. Or I had too much wine last night and I feel really gross today. I think just really associating what was it and what is the stuff that makes you feel really good? And right. I mean, I think you just, that's the only, you, I've gone to doctors because I've had other health issues throughout my life. They have no idea what's going on with me and no matter how I describe it to them, they're oblivious to it. So only you know how you feel and only you can really listen to that. So I think it's really, really learning how to listen to your body, what your body needs, whether it needs a break from certain things, whether you need to start a meditation practice, like what in your life is going to help you feel overall just good. And I mean, healthy is not just what you eat, right? It's so many other things make you feel balanced, make you feel happy and whole. And so I think just learning how to listen. And that's what we're trying to teach our kids too, right? Because it's like, I can't, I'm not going to be there when they're in high school. They're probably going to put a lot of, eat a lot of things that I don't 
think is good for them, but we're just trying to teach them your body's going to tell you if you liked eating all of that Valentine's Day candy or that cake at that friend's birthday party. So just learning how to listen. What about you? I love it. For me, it's probably get rid of that circular blue bottle of iodized salt, throw it in the trash and replace <laughs> it with kosher and replace it with kosher salt or some type of high mineral rich salt. Um, if there's any one piece of culinary advice, it's for the love of God, embrace salt. And I get some people that have to have a low sodium diet, but for the sake of, of just, you know, my, 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 um, leave behind, it's definitely that. Um, and I, and I say that tongue in cheek, but it's about flavor. Salt adds flavor. Salt also extracts moisture and helps with brinings, but salt, good kosher salt, um, is what makes the world turn. And, uh, and I think that the flavor piece, like, I don't want to give up on flavor. If I can keep the balance, if I can have flavorful foods, um, and find fun ways to enrich them. So olives, a great way to just level up your olives is to put them into a cast iron dish with some garlic and olive oil and put them on the grill and warm them up or put them in your oven and warm them up. Touch a salt at the end and you've got one of the most flavorful appetizers. They're a little chewy. They're warm. It's delicious. It's just a different way to take an olive and turn it into something magical. And, you know, salt helps. I love it. So I had a, an early episode, Get Your Fats Right. This is Get Your Salt Right from Sean Martin and Listen <laughs> to the Body by Mary Kressler. Thank you all so much. Check them out at vindulge.com. It sounds like that's where the book, the wine club, the wine shop, the recipes, all of it is there. Thank you all so much. Thank you listeners for hanging with me. We're soon going to be rounding the corner to episode 30. And as a reminder, if you haven't picked up your copy of The Nourishment Mindset, please get that from my website, Favor Fat, where you're seeing. I've got one. It's a great book. I'm loving it. Thank you. That's a compliment. You'll see all my social stuff there. If you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, just get at me and we'll we'll do it. So many thanks, Mary Kressler, Sean Martin. I hope all y'all have a wonderfully nourished week. Santé, au revoir, and until next Tuesday.